Good morning. Powerful hymns, thoughts, and uh, words this morning, and it is good to be here. I hope that you've had a good week. Uh, just want to do something very quickly. Uh, if you don't mind, if you have had the coronavirus, I just briefly, there's a reason for this. If you're comfortable, if not, that's fine. But it, would you stand? If you, if you have, in fact, contracted the coronavirus, please just stand. And stay standing for a minute. Uh, and that's not everyone at this congregation, but you can see in uh, your midst here. And you can go ahead and be seated. Um, you know, we, we, like many others, have been affected by the virus. And yet, for me, there is just looking out amongst us this morning and seeing... I know that our God has been faithful as well. And I know each of you who have contracted the virus, you would have your own story to tell. And, uh, and what we have seen is that God is indeed faithful and we see recovery and, and uh, always much to be thankful for. We have still members that are struggling, some that have newly contracted the virus and, and they are struggling with that as well. And so constantly... We need to be in prayer, not obviously just for the virus. We just need to be in prayer for one another. We certainly live in difficult times. Um, I would just say, I don't know that there's ever been a time when there wasn't difficult times. Uh, they seem to be a little more magnified now in our life. And uh, it does us good as we come together, we worship. We just stop for a minute and consider all the trouble that we live in as Christians and how we endure no matter what the circumstances are and we find encouragement in the singing of hymns uh, the sharing of scripture and the fellowship we have with one another and, uh, but it is good to be here and, uh, and we do have a lot to be thankful for much that we need to be in prayer about I will, if you turn your attention to the bulletin uh, birthdays and anniversaries uh, Josie and Zach Blevins will have been married. I don't know how many years, but the 31st. And then Grace Canenbring. Grace, stand up. Yeah, you heard me. You, you're not asleep yet. Uh, yeah, how old are you going to be? 15, 1, 5. Amen. Three more years before you can kick her out there. That's, uh, well, happy birthday to you. That's good. Some great people were born on January 26th. Paul Newman. Probably some great preachers and evangelists. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so, again, happy birthday, Grace. Um, open your Bibles to Colossians. Colossians in chapter 1. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write every word on my heart. Tell me the story so precious. Tell me the story of Jesus. I had asked Paul to read those passages. Um, those are, if you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. Uh, if you're familiar with the timing in the life of Jesus and his ministry in those gospels, those are the final words that Jesus spoke to his apostles, uh, his disciples, uh, before ascending into heaven. And they all had one thing in common. They all established his authority they all established his relationship uh, with his apostles, the mission and purpose that they would have. And ultimately what he was saying is that really three things, that you go into all the world and you preach, you teach, you even write about, and you be my witnesses to the gospel. And so really what he was saying was, 
You tell them my story. You tell them the story of the Savior. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, so I had mentioned last week, and this is going to be a two-part series here. I had mentioned last week that uh, if you're familiar with what the Bible just teaches about salvation in relationship to the Savior, uh, the story of Jesus. Uh, we know if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, We're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. So we're saved by grace through faith. We go to Hebrews in chapter 12, we're told that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. So if I'm saved by faith, then I have to understand that Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. It's not my faith. He's the author. He's the perfecter. I go to Hebrews chapter 11. I read, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so as God saves me by grace through faith, he's the author and perfecter of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Then we learn in Romans the 10th chapter where consequently faith comes by hearing and hearing your translation may say the word of Christ. Uh, literally, that translates the story. That use of the word logos means the story of Christ. So faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. Now, we could connect all of Scripture to how God saves through the preaching of his word, the gospel. But so just for time's sake this morning, uh, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. Now, the story of Christ. And I think everybody here, I'm comfortable with this. I think each of you would check this off. You say, okay, tell me the story of Christ. You would say, well, uh, he was born in Bethlehem of a virgin. Check, check. Yep, got that. He, he lived here for, I don't know, 33, 34 years. Yep, check. He was considered a rabbi. Some would even say he was a prophet. Um, he, would, he would teach with authority. Many miracle signs and wonders were attested to him. Yep, check, check, check. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all do that. Uh, he, would, he would be proclaimed as the Son of God. Yep, absolutely. Peter would make that statement when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And, well, some say you're Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Elijah. Well, who do you say that I am? Well, I say you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus would say to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who in heaven is. So he would be proclaimed as the Son of God. He would be, he would be arrested in the dead of night. He would endure the mockery of a trial. He would be crucified, dead, and buried, and he would be resurrected on the third day. And he would ascend into heaven where he is sitting at the right hand of God as the judge and savior of all men. I think we would all, so there's the story of Christ. And I would certainly agree with that. And that's a condensed, paraphrased uh, story, trying to capture things that we know to be true. We celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Easter. But if I were to say to you that you and I, for us to fully understand the story, there's something that needs to take place. Other than just history and events, statements of fact, there's something that has to happen in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart. I was interesting, Mark, when you just read the passage out of Second Thessalonians. Every single one of Paul's letters, I had no idea he was going to read this, but every single one of Paul's letters, in the opening statements, he makes a statement that the rest of the letter is about. It, he's going to prove. 
So he makes a statement. We're studying in Ephesians right now in the Sunday morning Bible class. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1, he makes the statement, Blessed be the uh, God of our, uh, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The rest of Ephesians is the proof of that. He makes a statement and he proves it. Now you could do that with every single letter that Paul writes. That was his training. That's how the inspiration of the Holy Spirit happened through him. But every single letter in the opening statements, uh, you can find the statement that he makes that the rest of the letter will be about. And he did that in 2 Thessalonians. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he writes, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it's only fitting. Now here it is. Because your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love each one of you toward and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. The rest of the letter is the proof, the doctrinal theology proof of a statement about uh, greatly enlarged faith, and then the, the the ramifications of that. Love of each of you, uh, uh, one toward another, grows even greater. And then you, all the doctrine, everything that he says in the rest of the letter, is proof of that statement. So you could do that in all of his letters. So now go to Colossians. This, tell me the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus. Paul was a prisoner. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians as a prisoner. He's an older man. He had, when he wrote the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians, you can read in the book of Acts, three missionary trips. Uh, he, you know, as he was fulfilling, as he was fulfilling, Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, 16, Luke, John, Acts chapter 1, the fulfillment of God's commission to his apostles. Uh, he would go on three missionary trips, and you can read about that the, the acts of the Holy Spirit and how God used individuals for the preaching of his word, the witnessing of his word, the writing of his word, to in fact accomplish the telling of the story of Jesus, the gospel, and the salvation of lost men. Now, so when you go to Colossians in chapter 1, we begin reading. In verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now here, listen here. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, because, now here it is, be, this will be the, the premise, the foundational first for all the doctrine in Colossians, all the theology, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven in which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. The, the rest of Colossians is now the proof of hope that is laid up for us in heaven based upon something you heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world and is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understand the grace of God's in truth. Understand it. So the rest of the book is a proof of that statement. Personal statement and then the doctrine that comes from it. Now, church, I believe in my years of ministry, if there has ever, in, this is my personal 
believe. If there has ever been a time that God's people, certainly in this experiment that is America, if there's ever been a time that God's people need to understand, truly need to understand, about the hope that has been laid up for us in heaven, the word of truth, that the world, that this word that has come to us, there is something happening. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. We need to know that. And it has to do with the story of Christ. And not apart from what I just walked you through very quick, quickly, born in Bethlehem, of a virgin, and, you know, so on and so forth. Ultimately, death, burial, resurrection. But you and I now, understanding the story of Christ as it has to do with our hope and constantly bearing fruit and and what it has to do with the story of Christ. If you said to me, Arby, pick one place in all the Bible that emphatically tells the story of Christ in such a personal way that as a Christian you could only one thing could happen. You would know, be assured of, you would leave, you would come away with, you would take with you, you would share with the lost and broken to a lost and broken world. Of the Listen, I don't care who's in the office. I don't care what the economy is, what's happening. I don't care. I have a hope. Let me tell you, there's been a hope that's been laid up for me and for you, and, and it's been laid up. It, it, it's true. It's been laid up for us in heaven. It's the word of truth. It constantly bears fruit. And so let me tell you that story, and here it is, church. If I never get to preach another sermon, I, I know that in my heart, according to God's word, I could walk away and I could say to the, this setting this morning, you will have heard the story of Christ and what it has to do with the hope that is laid, for, laid up for us in heaven. In, 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 in the word of truth. Just that the word of truth that constantly bear fruit, bears fruit and increases. And here it is, beginning in verse 13. All the opening statements. Here's the proof. Theologians have called this section of Scripture, they have titled it, The Incomparable Christ. The incomparable Christ. There's none other like him. Verse 13. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We'll just stop right there. The story of Christ. Born of a virgin. Crucified, dead, and buried. Resurrected, ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. I don't know exactly what you know about Christ, but here's one thing that Paul wanted you to know that had to do with our hope that is laid up for us in heaven, and it's true, and it constantly bears fruit. And that is number one. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. And I'm just going to preach to you this morning, church, I am. In the last year, 
I'll be 62 on January 26th. But in the last year of ministry for me, just like you, a citizen of the United States, watching and observing. And then, since then, since the election day on November, what is that, first Tuesday in November, I have been listening, and I have been hearing. And what I have been listening and hearing from Christians is not a hope that has been laid up for us in heaven. It is not the truth of the gospel, and it is not constantly bearing fruit and increasing. I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing from God's people that, that manifestly, they actually believe two things that really needs to be spoken of in light of this statement because it's either true or it's not true. It either is hopeful or it's not hopeful. It either will bear constant fruit or it won't. That he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, the story of Christ. I don't know who you voted for, and I really don't care, but what I have seen, and it has broken my heart, and I bought into it a little bit. I put myself and my hope in a man and a political party and a political persuasion, mostly because of this experiment that is America. We have had a freedom that has been afforded to us that probably no other nation has in the history of humanity. And, and we've grown accustomed to it. And we're proud. We're proud Americans. We're proud Texans. And we're tied to our Constitution and this sense of personal right. The first century didn't have that. There were no Americans when Paul wrote this letter. There was no Constitution of the United States of America. There were no uh, First or Second Amendment rights. There was no government support uh, vehicle in place. And Paul is talking to people about hope laid up for them in, in heaven. And the truth. And here we are 2,000 years later in this experiment that is America. But we're the church. I don't, listen, I'm not talking about those outside the church. I'm not. I'm talking about the church, that Christ, part of the story is that he would build a church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. And you and I ought to live and act and conduct ourselves in a way that magnifies that great truth. And it has to do with this truth, that he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Now, was that partial? Was that... It's going to maybe sort of be. And what does that have to do with who is the president of the United States of America? Literally. The passion that we've invested in that. The fear that we have that is the opposite of hope. And I have to tell you, I like the man's policy, but I tell you what I don't like. And I listen to him. And it's funny how we'll ignore things. I listen to 30 of his speeches at least. I watched the news. My eyes were glued to it. And you know what I heard over and over and over and over and over again? I heard some things that I liked, but I heard the word I, 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 me, my, over and over again. It's not my, I'm not trying to demean the man. I'm talking about us, God's people, our purpose, his will, and the story of Christ. 
and what really needs to be central in our heart and what we believe. I heard abusive, the ridiculing of people. And there was a time, and I need to repent of it, where I kind of liked that. I liked hearing lock her up. Crooked so-and-so, little so-and-so, sleepy so-and-so. You know how disrespectful and rude that is? But we could applaud that. We could find hope maybe in that. And I'm not putting a finger at anybody here. I'm talking about Aubrey. What if Aubrey or what if the church or what if the body of Christ had been as motivated in the last year to spend as much time in his word trying to understand that Christ and what it meant, how he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption or forgiveness of sins if I had spent as many hours dwelling on that in my heart in my mind in my spirit as I had the commentators on Fox News or all the you know the wonderful silly satirical comments on Facebook and social media compare the two I have been sent, I don't know, at least a dozen, probably closer to two dozen messages and things that, you know, you need to watch this, you need to listen. I mean, it's amazing to me, the level of American Christians that are almost in a panic and conspiracies. Maybe some of them are true. Just because it's a conspiracy doesn't mean that it's not true. Maybe they are. I have listened to people use the term prophet. Man, this individual's a prophet. And Christians hoping somehow that the results of this, what they believe is a crooked uh, election, is, are overturned and that God is going to even quote scripture, just like we did in the Civil War. The North quoted scripture, the South quoted scripture. Who was right? They were convinced they were. Do you know there is not a living prophet alive today to say that is is just a the nicest way that I can say it is just disrespectful to scripture why would a man or woman even want to call themselves prophet now if you say I could say something prophetically I'm going to say something prophetically I'm not a prophet there was a time for prophets with the Bible it's a dispensation a time in history one of the passages that Paul just wrote in, in, in Mark 16 was God speaking to uh, some weak-faith apostles who he was about to send out, and he said, there's some things that are going to accompany you in your ministry. It has to do with snakes and poison, and, and uh, that applied to them, not you and I today. The scripture is very clear. I could walk you through that. We would be foolish to think that by faith I could drink poison and let a stay. And I'm not an apostle. That was for their ministry. It was proven in that time historically. It was a fulfillment of prophetic word. But when a man or a woman says that they're a prophet today, what they have essentially said is that God has not revealed something in this word. There's something that has been unrevealed that God has now given them special insight into, and they can illuminate you and I. And it has to do with the prince, the president of the United States. Do you understand how foolish that sounds, really, if you step away from it? There's only one prophetic word concerning Joe Biden and 
uh, Donald Trump. There's only one. It's a prophetic word. There's only one in all the Bible, and it settles it all. All authority in heaven and earth has been established by God, and he wasn't really concerned with what you thought about that to get some, you know, well, I'm going to wait until, uh, you know, so-and-so gives me some advice, and then I'll establish it. No, 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 no. Donald Trump was president because all authority in heaven and earth has been established by God. He served the time. He's gone. Don't know if he'll ever be back. Liked some of his policies, hated his attitude. The guy that's in office now, I don't know. I know I need to be praying for him. But he'll serve only as long as God has determined that he will serve. And if preachers aren't preaching that, and they've decided prophetically that they can say something else, it's not prophecy. It's not biblical prophecy. But here's the thing that you and I, the church, need to understand. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That statement in and of itself, could any president of any nation anywhere in the history of man supersede or set aside that statement? And in a world where people are in a panic, and by the way, I don't know the world population. I know it's in the billions. I'm pretty sure maybe as much as three-quarter of the world's population could care less who the president of the United States is. I really don't think people in the Congo or Ethiopia or the aborigines in Australia, I just don't think they could care. People that are displaced politically in China. I don't really think they care. But the church in America, I just, I get these things, and I bought into it. Listen, I'm, I have to repent. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. And if God's will, I'll throw you a curveball. What if God's will was a Satanist to be the President of the United States of America? So be it. How could you not say so be it? I've, I, I have, I have uh, failed in another area. I have, and I have to repent from this. I say, you know, I'm worried about, I'm not worried about Aubrey. I've said this a dozen times. I'm worried about, you know, these kids. Really? Put that in light of, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, the story of Christ, in who we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, that is the, the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven. It's the word of truth, and it constantly bears fruit and, and increases. In light of anything that's happening in the world, what an obnoxious statement for me to make as a pastor. That I'm not worried about Aubrey. You know, I'm 62. I don't know if I have another day. But I'm worried about these. Really? They're not my children. They're his children. They're his children. They're not even your children. He knew them before they were formed in your womb, if you're a mother. 
He ordained just like he did for you and I the very days of our life before we were born. It's in the scripture. And if you're a Christian today, by the grace of God, through the faith that Jesus Christ has authored and is perfecting in us. You know, in Philippians in chapter 1, there's this great statement. Paul again says, I am confident, the one, I am confident that the one who started a good work in your life will finish it. There's where your confidence needs to be. You know, we, we think it's amazing how so easily sidetracked we can be. Uh, in the Old Testament, it said, no weapon fashioned against you will prosper. Either that's true or it's not true. If you're a Christian, you should believe in spiritual warfare. You should. Because the Bible very much says it's true. Peter writes that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Paul says to the Ephesians, our struggle is not uh, in flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle taking place. But you know what the scripture says in light of that? To the people that he delivered from the domain of darkness? Let me tell you something. If you're not a Christian, there's only two dynamics at play in all of eternity. There's a kingdom of light and a domain of darkness. That's it. That, that's all. There's no other reality. There is the kingdom of light that Christ is the king of or the domain of darkness that Satan has been given. He's called the prince of power, and Paul would write, that is not working the sons of disobedience to the Ephesians. He has a power. We read this morning in a Bible class. You go to Job. Satan has no power whatsoever other than what God would allow him. And Satan, here's some big boy theology. God, just like he would with Job, and just like he would with the Apostle Paul, he would send a messenger of Satan to Paul to buffet his flesh, to keep him from exalting himself. The same God that he had delivered Paul from the domain of darkness in his religious self-righteousness, and he transferred him to the kingdom of his beloved son, but in his life, he knew that Paul had a problem. Paul would exalt himself. And so God, with his power and his authority, would say, I'm an messenger of Satan. Go buffet that man's flesh. Wow. He prayed three times that God would remove it. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Now, here's the truth about the domain of darkness. Their leader is hamstrung. He has no real power and authority. And here's the truth. Church, you need to know this. Because outside of the body of Christ and the kingdom of light, all there is is a domain of darkness. What's happening in Washington, D.C. is a domain of darkness. What's happening in China is a domain of darkness. What's happening in Russia is a domain of darkness. But you and I are the kingdom of light, and we are a kingdom that he established that the gates of Hades would never prevail against. And he said this, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. He said, resist him and he'll flee. What a puny, I'm always reminded of this, and it may seem silly to you, 
But it's in one of the Avenger movies. And Hulk comes and he gets Loki and he just bangs him, bang, bang, bang. And, you know, Loki said, don't you know that I'm a god? And Hulk just bangs him and Loki's laying there and he says, and Hulk says to him, puny god. And maybe you remember that. What could, if you're a Christian that has been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, what is it that you have to fear about anybody, anything, anywhere, ever? He gave us redemption to forgiveness of sins. I love the fact that he was born of a virgin, just like the scripture said that he was, and he was born in Bethlehem. I hate the fact that when you go to the Gospel of Matthew, that Jeremiah's prophecy was fulfilled, and, and all the male children, two years and younger, th that were born in that Judea, they were slain. I hate that. I hate the fact that of all the things that... I hate the fact all the things that happened in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John that finally, you know, bear witness to this, Father, not my will, but your will be done. The death on the cross, and I love the fact that the tomb was empty. And what I really love in the story of Jesus is that he delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of his beloved son and he did it by redeeming me through the forgiveness of my sin and there's never been nor will there ever be a person that sits in that office in Washington D.C. that will ever have the power to do that for you or anyone we have wasted far too much time worried about the outcome of an election and giving way too much heart and energy and passion over something that doesn't have anything to do other than a revelation of the domain of darkness. But it has nothing to do with the redemption and the forgiveness of sin from and by the King of Kings. I would love to see the church understanding this in the story of Christ. I really would. From the, this position. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. To live as Christ and to die as gain. If I go on living, praise God, I'll serve him. Won't matter who's in office. And if I die, how much better I get to go be with him. I want to have the same attitude that was evident in Christ Jesus, that although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of a slave and became obedient to the point of death. That's the kind of Christians the world needs to see. I want to believe the truth that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And not wait for some breadcrumb of what appears to be some political power or something that 
aligns itself with my sense of morality. Really? I want my mind, like Paul would say, I want my mind to be anxious for nothing but to dwell on these things, these things that are lovely and praiseworthy and trustworthy and honest. Your children need to see that. Your children don't need to hear you in a panic over who's in office. Your children don't need to see you stressed out about what may or may not happen. But what they do need to see and what the lost world and those that are in that domain of darkness need to see is somebody that says, let me tell you the story of Jesus. I have a hope that's laid up for me in, in heaven. I can tell you about the word of truth, man. Everything else is a lie. And it'll constantly bear fruit. I, I have the power through the Spirit of Christ to go into a prison unit and proclaim Jesus as Lord and see just lives changed. I have the power to go feed the hungry through Christ and the Spirit that He's given me. I have the power to forgive I, listen, I don't want my... Listen, He gave me the power to forgive. He gave me the power to love my enemies. He gave me the power to trust Him implicitly because He did something. He transferred me. He delivered me. He delivered you. If you're a Christian today, He delivered you from the domain of darkness. What do you have to fear? He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, is that a lot better? And by the way, is any of that not the truth? And being that it is the truth, is that a lot better than what's going to be served up almost 24 hours a day on Fox and CNN and MSNBC and ABC and CBS and from the Oval Office? And Surely it is. It has to be. And the question is, church, do you believe it? And if you don't, my question to you is why? Why? I'm ashamed that I would make the statement that I'm worried about this generation because it shows a complete and total lack of faith in God. It puts me in a place that I have no position in being. Well, these children, you don't love them, and I don't love them as much as God does. There's nothing that could be. Jesus would say, suffer the little children under me, for such is the kingdom of God. We're going to talk next week in the story of Christ about the creation, his role in the creation, and the great satisfaction and faith that we ought to get from that right out of this text. So as we leave here today, I just challenge you. Consider this. Do something for one week. 
about the time that you're going to get depressed or angry or frustrated on a news item or an event or a circumstance, just stop and say, well, hey. wow. He, he delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of his beloved son. And in him, I have redemption and the forgiveness of my sins. The problem solved. Worries allayed. It's a, it's a sad thing to see Christians literally living in fear. Uh, people calling themselves prophets. It's just sad. When there's the hope that's been laid up for us in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We just need you. I hope that you remind us constantly, minute by minute if necessary, second by second if necessary, of the work that you accomplished for us on behalf of us. In Calvary and in that cross and in the tomb and out of the tomb, sitting at the right hand, sitting at the right hand, sitting at the right hand of your Father. Help me to think and believe and know that that truth, Father, and the work that you accomplished in my life, our life, as you delivered and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, it's in his name that we pray.